Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Encore. I'm your host, Tony Franchetti. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by the African American Church Music Series at GIA Publications. This series is an extensive collection of the works of African American composers and arrangers and includes all styles of music emanating from Black churches, spirituals, traditional gospel, modern gospel, and all degrees of classical style compositions. The series is edited by Dr. James Abington. Visit www.giamusic.com now to explore what the AACMS catalog has to offer. And with that, I'm extremely excited to welcome on today's guest. He is currently Associate Professor of Church Music and Worship at Emory University and the Executive Editor of GIA's African American Church Music Series, my friend, Dr. James Abington. Jimmy, I appreciate you taking some time to chat this morning. How are things with you? Fine, Tony, and always delighted to talk with you. Of course, appreciate it. Well, we'll start off with a kind of a basic question, just so our listeners can get to know your your roots and upbringing a little bit better. So, could you just talk a bit a little bit about uh, growing up, maybe through the process through your schooling, just kind of how you know you first became interested in music, and you know you wanted to pursue a career in that. Wow, Tony, uh, how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I uh, am a native of a little coal mining town in Gary, West Virginia. Uh, I uh, was born and raised in a little small town that uh, was full of love and full of values, full of ethics, morals, uh, a religious compass, uh, uh, music, great uh great teachers, people who really encouraged and supported uh, ambitions. I uh, was a product of public schools that uh, I think were some of the best. They certainly prepared me for uh, collegiate work and, and, and for life. I graduated from high school, from Gary High School in 1978 and attended West Virginia State uh, College. It was formerly known as is West Virginia State University for about a year until the real uh, light came on. And I met the late Wendell Whalum, who was then the uh, chair of the music department and the director of the Morehouse Glee Club mm-hmm. in Atlanta. And of course, uh, I, I followed him back to Atlanta. And that was when I really felt like my musical life began to flourish. So I finished Morehouse College in 1983 and went on to the University of Michigan for my master's and doctorate. But I tell you, the the Atlanta experience, and that's where I live now, was so great because as a student at Morehouse, I was the accompanist of the Morehouse College Glee Club, which was a discipline within itself. But I was also church organist at the West Hunter Street Baptist Church which was then pastored by the late Ralph Abernathy. And I was associate organist and director of the choir at the Ebenezer Baptist Church, the historic Ebenezer Baptist Church, and directed the MLK Choir, the Martin Luther King Choir uh, there. So uh, imagine as a student having that kind of, uh, those kind of surroundings, of course, Martin Luther King, had passed, but his father was still alive, uh, his sister, Christine, who is still alive, incidentally, today. Uh, But uh, uh, Daddy King passed a few years later. Coretta uh, Bernice, we called her Bunny, sang in my choir. So 
Atlanta just seemed to be the place that I was to ultimately end. And I have been here, of course, from uh, Morehouse. I went to the University of Michigan, as I said, and my first teaching uh, job, full-time teaching job, was at Shaw University in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I was the chair of the Department of Visual and Performing Arts and uh, the director of the uh, choral activities. And uh, I was there for five years before going to Morgan State University, where I was for two years, had the privilege of working with Nathan Carter there for a year before he passed away. I was uh, the coordinator of their graduate program. And then, of course, ended up here at Emory University, where I have been at the end of this semester, uh, will have served for 16 years. Wow. This is where I plan to retire from. And so it's great to be back in Atlanta and doing the things that uh, I'm doing here and still have the opportunity to do some adjunct teaching over at Morehouse with my Morehouse and Spellman little brothers and sisters. No, that's great. 16 years. That, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, of course, after, you know, your schooling and everything, you uh, eventually found yourself over to us here at GIA. So so, uh, I guess uh, a lot of our listeners would be interested to know, how did your relationship with GIA first begin? Well, that's 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 an easy one. I mean, Bob Battistini, Bob Battistini, Bob Battistini. That that was my brother. I uh, I mean, boy, the 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 days spent with him and in his home, in fact, I had I had my own room uh, in there. His last condo when he lived out in Lagrange, they called it the Jimmy Room. Uh, but uh, Bob was a big brother, a real nurturing uh, force in my life. Um, I met Bob some years before. I think I visited GIA. I was with a friend of mine who lived here. Uh, well, lived there in Chicago. Mm-hmm with the late Robert Mays. And we just went by there one day and I met Bob uh, just on that particular uh, visit, but did not really know him or get to know him later as I learned to know him through a subsequent, uh, subsequent trips to the Hymn Society. And uh, then I met uh, the first real project that he and I worked on was of course the African-American uh, Heritage Hymnal. And uh, that project started probably in the mid 90s, uh, maybe 96, something. I was still at Michigan mm-hmm. working on uh, pursuing my doctorate. And Dolores Carpenter, Reverend Dolores Carpenter, who was um, the one of the chief editors for that, uh, had a daughter who was uh, finishing Michigan at that time and told me that my mom really wants to get in touch with you. And so we, we did make that happen. And so I started working on that project. And uh, because we had uh, selected so many wonderful pieces for that hymnal, uh, but had unfortunately had to deny almost as many good ones because they really were not for the a hymnal, but because they were really fine pieces and Bob and Ed Harris had this vision that, wow, this somebody needs to be publishing this music. Is there anybody that's doing it? And the answer was no. And of course, out of that experience uh, grew the African-American Church Music Series, which I think was founded in about 1999, because I had just become the co-director of music for the Hampton University Ministers and Musicians Conference. And I remember working on the music uh, for that. I remember when that conference started, we were ordering maybe about 1,200 pieces of music for the choir. 1,200 became 1,500, became 
700, uh, 1700. At one point we had ordered, we were ordering up to almost 2,200 uh, pieces of music for the choir over those years. And uh, was always able to present the music of an African-American church music series with such a large choir, which uh, with the African-American Heritage Hymnal in that series, it really just gave African-American church music a new home. Right. GIA has been that home and continues to be that home. Yes, sir. Very well put. Thanks. So we can thank Bob for, for, uh, Oh yeah. On. Yeah. I, Brother I, Bob. <laughs> I miss seeing Bob for sure. And you know, yes. of course you mentioned, you know, Bob was with GIA from the ground floor, you know, built yep. everything up. So we're, you know, yeah. we're very thankful to Bob or else we wouldn't be here today for sure. That's so. true. That's true. Yeah. So uh, next question I got, I, I mentioned during our introduction and ad read that you're, of course, the executive editor of the AACMS series. So could you just tell our listeners, uh, I apologize, it's kind of a broad question, but just mm-hmm. a little bit what they can expect to find in the AACMS series. Well, Tony, I think I told you uh, in the last meeting that we had, when I pick up that catalog and look at it now, it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking with John back in the print shop and we was t- saying the same thing. He said, man, I pick up a catalog and I'm thinking, wow, I remember this. I think I know most of this piece, this stuff. And it's it, it has been such a productive uh, period that looking at the 2022 African-American catalog and remembering the first few little choral pieces that came out and then we started doing some CDs that would accompany those choral uh, uh, pieces. And then GIA published a very, very important uh, collection of essays and articles that I did called Readings in African-American Church Music and Worship, of which there's now a volume two. And then there was the uh, uh, a collection I did, Waiting to Go and Going to Wait. And then from that, it just it's just blossomed and bloomed and all, I guess I should say, exploded with uh, excitement into so many offerings of, of books, of mm-hmm. recordings, of, of sheet music. Uh, we are now starting to publish some th- vocal uh, music, something we have not done in the past. Uh, a number of wonderful pieces for organ, uh, piano. Uh, it's, it's just music for the whole of worship in African-American and non-African-American churches. It's not music that is just for and by African-American churches. In fact, some of our greatest customers are non-African-Americans and uh, using music for the church year uh, becomes a wonderful way to explore the possibilities uh, in our catalog. But uh, there are just always things coming out, new CDs coming out, hymnals, yeah. Uh, you know, GIA is certainly uh, the leader in having produced the hymnals. I mean, man, like I said, you look back over this and say, good God, we did all of that. Uh, you know, thinking back of the uh, the African-American Catholic hymnal, Lead Me, Guide Me. And then from that to the uh, African-American Heritage Hymnal, which was uh, an attempt to do a Protestant version of that. But Ed Harris and Bob said, no, let's just start from the from the ground and, and, and do your own thing. And that's how the African-American Heritage Hymnal came. Then from that came the Total Praise Hymnal, which was somewhat a revision of that with the Sunday School Publishing Board of the National Baptist Convention. 
and then there were several supplements uh, uh, that came, hymnal supplements that uh, came out. And then finally, uh, the revision of uh, Lead Me, Guide Me, uh, second edition, when uh, the, uh, the new liturgy and, uh, or words of the mass were changed. And uh, then, of course, most recently, uh, this wonderful and historic African-American ecumenical hymnal, uh, One Lord, One Faith, One Baptism, which was a collaboration of eight African-American denominations. So it's, uh, it's just exciting. And, uh, and there's just seems to be more to come. And I'm always grateful uh, to Alec and uh, even back in that time to Ed. Uh, because they just there was just never an idea that uh, was met with a no. Mm-hmm. They were cautiously optimistic, but very supportive. And um, we have we, we continue to uh, be the leader. I mean, I say it modestly, but we are without peer in that, uh, in that industry. Very well put. That perfectly transitioned us to our, our next question, too. You mentioned the one Lord, one faith, one baptism hymnal. For sure. Want to talk about that. Obviously, a very powerful and unique hymnal. You'd mentioned uh, all the different denominations. Mm-hmm. I guess, uh, can you talk a little bit about the hymnal, the selection process, and you know how the yeah. hymnal can help serve worship communities? Tony, if, if I never do another hymnal, that, <laughs> that was the greatest opportunity. And again, I am so grateful to GIA and to all of the people who made that hymnal possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I must say... Uh, there could not have been, I don't believe, a better committee to work with than the people who were assembled uh, for uh, that hymnal as kind of the steering committee, the, uh, the collaborative group of leaders from those uh, various denominations. Mm-hmm. And I'm always excited to, 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 to name the denominations, the African Methodist Episcopal Church or the AME Church the African Methodist Episcopal Zion, or we call it the AMEZ, or the AME Zion Church, uh, the Church of God in Christ, uh, or, or you people many call, times call it the Kojic Church, Right. Uh, the uh, Disciples of Christ, Christian Church was a part of this project, um, the uh, Progressive National Baptists uh, were uh, involved uh, in this and made decisions the uh, Black Episcopalians, mm-hmm. uh, as well as Black, uh, uh, dis- I-, I mentioned the Disciples of Christ, but also the United Church of Christ, the mm-hmm. UCC, mm-hmm. Congregational Church was a part of it. And um, most exciting was the Black Seventh-day Adventists. Oh, what, what rich hymnody we uh, gained from mm-hmm. uh, them and so many of those denominations. So it was like, uh, we were not trying to impose our creeds, our beliefs, our our, uh, our our theologies on one another. We we were just interested in gathering the best of the musical gems that represented those denominations. And of course, we compiled about 700 uh, in that. So you won't find responsive readings and psalms and all those things because we knew that we couldn't agree on what those things would be, nor were we trying to do that. Uh, but from the beginning, uh, using that to say uh, piece, there is one Lord uh, uh, to the end. We, we just enjoyed the richness and the fullness of all of the denominations that were collaborating and contributing to that project. And of course, as you know, we just completed a companion CD. We right. called it 18 Ecumenical 
uh, treasures in one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We begin with the the Tazay, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism uh, on that CD. And then there are two pieces that were uh, very representative of each one of those denominations on there. In addition to an Iona piece, which every one of us loved, uh, which uh, take, oh, take me as I am. Um, so that uh, will hopefully be out sometime late spring. But uh, that was exciting to, uh, to do that. And I think um, when you just start with the first piece and play it all the way through, you really began to really grasp the rich diversity and, and the, the fullness and just the, the, the spiritual encounter of all of these various uh, parts and denominations coming together that really express the, uh, the experience of what it really means to be uh, in community with one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, the hymnal is available now from us. You could go uh, take a look at that online, uh, www.gimusic.com. Uh, click on our hymnal tab and you should uh, be able to pull it up there. And you could also request a free review copy from uh, Suzanne Orland, our sales and customer relationship manager. You could email her at Suzanne, O-S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-O at gimusic.com and she'll be happy to get a review copy out to you. And uh, uh, thank you for mentioning the CD too. So I also keep keep an eye out for the CD as Jimmy said, it'll be uh, dropping in a couple months here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So another big thing that you do here at GIA, uh, of course, something that I work with you uh, hand in hand on are the popular sing to the rafters workshops that we do across the country. They're uh, they've been on a hiatus for a little bit due to COVID, but uh, can you just talk a little bit about these workshops and, you know, how they can be and uh, such an enriching experience? Yeah, Tony, I, yeah, well, you know, we have, we have really uh, missed being, I have missed being on the road and missed being in uh, uh, fellowship and contact with so many people that I don't know initially, but uh, leave those places with friends for life. But it, uh, has we have pretty much been doing the sing to the rafters <clears throat> as Saturday morning events usually what I think is about 9 30 to 12 30 is what most I think Correct. kind of the templates for that mm-hmm. and people come and uh, they they register for this and with their very modest registration fee they receive a copy right now they're receiving a copy of the one Lord one faith one baptism hymnal and about six octavos from the African-American church music series that, uh, you know, that are recent uh, publications. So we usually start the sessions by uh, reading a hymn from the, uh, uh, the hymnal. And then we move into uh, the six octavos, which usually are, are very different in styles. Usually we'll have an anthem, a hymn arrangement, a spiritual, traditional gospel, contemporary gospel, but uh, a variety of styles in those pieces. Then after we uh, sing through those, we take a little break and then start uh, our little voyage through uh, all of those, uh, the the rich treasures of the one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So it really becomes a singing to the rafters type of experience and singing the familiar, the the less familiar, the the uh, the brand new. And um, it's 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 three hours of wonderful fellowship. 
Uh, it'll be great now with the new CD uh, come out being uh, available that people can leave there with a little piece of the hymnal uh, that will remind them of that richness. But we have done those at churches. And of course, they just need to come through you. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you have access to the dates and availability. And uh, it's just uh, we look for our host to be able to provide us with the people who will actually sign up uh, and come to it. It's uh, no expense. Uh, GIA takes care of, of the uh, all of the expenses up front. It's just a matter of getting people there to purchase the, uh, the hymnal and the octavos and to be willing to sing. It's one of the best deals going. And of course, we really try to make these as ecumenically diverse uh, as as racially diverse, as culturally diverse as possible, because uh, that's that's what the project and that's what the the uh, the series is all about. It's not, as I said, it's called the African American Church Music Series. It just happens to be that the composers were African American, but then, wow, we we don't limit who sings that music because if that's the case, we wouldn't sing two thirds of what we sing in hymnals today because we're not German, we're not English, we're not. Uh, we're not uh, Australia, or so many are Latin, you know. Yeah, so we uh, it's 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 for everybody, and there's no one that is excluded from this. Uh, it's just wonderful, sacred music uh, from a tradition that uh, many times has been uh, neglected. Uh, but uh, we really enjoy doing that, and uh, uh, we have had some wonderful community efforts. We really encourage uh, people going in with groups, you know, since. Mm-hmm. We have these this kind of template of the eight denominations that are possible. Now, understanding Catholics are always uh, uh, a part of what we do. I mean, that's who GIA has uh, has 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 accommodated and who they've provided such rich resources for for years. So, and uh, we have a number a number of uh, Catholic churches that have been uh, sponsors to this. But certainly, saying looking around the community and say, hey. Let's find an AME church, an AME Zion church, an Episcopal church. Hey, maybe we ought to call those Kojics we've never, uh, or Pentecostals that we have not worshiped with, or um, wow, Seventh-day Adventists. And that's why, however, we have, because of that, we've moved some of them to Monday evening so that we can accommodate our Seventh-day Adventist brothers and sisters who uh, celebrate Sabbath uh, on uh, on what we... uh, have what has been normally uh, Saturdays for those occasions. So we're always sensitive to that, but there are just any number of possibilities and you're the man for that. I mean, they, uh, you know how that works and you know what the dates are. And if they've got questions, they've got the right person when they call you. Of course. Yeah. If, if uh, anyone out there is interested in uh, bringing Dr. Abington to, uh, to their community and having a sing to the Raptors workshop, feel free to drop me an email at Tony F T O N Y F at G I music.com. And yeah, definitely keep an ear uh, to our uh, announcements, e-blast social media. So we'll announce when we're going to get back on the road. So if we have a session near you, I definitely encourage you all to check it out. Like Jimmy said, it's a, it's a special experience. All right, cool. I'm super glad I was able to have you on the show during February, Jimmy, during Black History Month here. I know we uh, we had a co- <laughs> quick conversation about it during our last meeting, you know, that Black History Month really should not just be one month. It should be something that's celebrated every month, you know, all year around. So I guess so I'm just curious, are, what kind of like lessons about Black History Month do you share with your students at Emory? 
Yeah, well, you know, I, you heard me laugh every time I hear Black History Month. I always get tickled because everybody knows what my response is going to be. I said, you know, I'm so glad that, you know, it went from uh, Negro History Week to uh, Black History Month. Uh, I said, but, you know, I'm Black all year long. You know, I'm, I'm going to be Black uh, this summer, probably more so than now. But uh, I, uh, so I, I take being Black seriously all year long. And uh, I hope that my other Black colleagues do and don't wait until February to just to be Black because, you know, tell me what you are in February. I mean, in, in March, you know, I mean, do you turn Irish or whatever? But I do think that it's, uh, it's the richness of the African-American experience is one that, 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 that extends throughout the year. Um, but I, I love to... Uh, look at those neglected composers, those uh, composers who people have not been exposed to. And historically, where when there was no GIA publications, when there was no uh, kind of um, uh, uh, head, well, headquarters or central location where all of these resources could be found, uh, these composers were in many cases publishing independently, or they were publishing through uh, companies that would uh, be in business for a very short period of time. So I always enjoy going back and looking, uh, as you know, I've been doing some things with uh, Black Methodist bishops and Black Holiness Pentecostal bishops who were hymn writers and uh, people who did not have any idea that these were hymn writers. And again, who the black hymn writers were of the time, uh, particularly Charles Price Jones, Bishop Charles Price Jones, who's, uh, who wrote over 800 hymns, you know, uh, and whose denominations uh, hymnal uh, uh, has close to 500 of his hymns uh, in it today. And uh, they, that denomination, the Church of Christ Holiness USA sings uh, those hymns, just like uh, we sing the the the, the canon of uh, favorites, and uh, uh, all over the Protestant and Catholic world of of, of Christian uh, worship. But uh, I also enjoy uh, teaching them about the the various uh, denominations that have been neglected. We tend to think of church music as genres of music. So invariably people talk about spirituals and gospel. And those are genres, those are styles of music. Uh, and there are composers who have written in those uh, styles. And uh, we have a number non-African-American uh, composers who've written in those styles. Some of the finest spirituals and, and gospel pieces have been written by uh, non-African-Americans and, and should be celebrated for for their the quality, not just because they were written by black composers. Uh, so I enjoy looking at the history of the black church, and of course, as we said, those neglected denominations, those uh, those traditions that somehow kind of uh, were at the bottom of the barrel, even in the in the black tradition, that were not a part of the mainstream. So that's always exciting uh, to to uh, talk about during Black History Month. But as I said, I talk about it all year long. I like to think of, of the selections of music that I make as being first appropriate for worship, biblically based, theologically sound and culturally relevant uh, for the church year so that you, you, you select music by its, uh, its function 
uh, in worship as opposed to its uh, its cultural or its ethnicity. Right. So uh, that uh, if we are in Lent or if we are if it's uh, we're looking at hymns for Epiphany or we're looking at music for Advent, uh, we 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 look at the music of the African American experience in totality uh, that that fit those uh, those events, not just because it's a spiritual or because it's oh we want to do a gospel. What does how does it fit? How does it work? How is it relevant to the proclamation of the gospel in the season? Excellent, very well put there, Jimmy. Very well put. All right. Awesome. Well, we will, we'll wrap up on this last question here. Can't thank you enough for, you know, taking the time to talk with us today. It's been great talking with you as always. So the next question I got for you, um, <laughs> and I, I know firsthand how little free time that you do have, you know, I know you're a very busy guy, but that's what we'll end with just a casual question. What are some ways that Jimmy Abington likes to relax and spend his free time? Well, there's the answer that I can, give uh publicly and then there's the answer that uh that i must take to my yes <laughs> to my grave <laughs> but uh i uh, i you know i i, I am an avid reader i i just uh and uh, and i i love all things history i just uh i have just reread uh the history of lucy campbell for a chapter i'm working on uh just was absolutely fascinated with this woman who was kind of a mother of black gospel music and the hymns that she wrote. And last night with my mother, we sat and we laughed and we uh, were just just fascinated by her life and the things that she did uh, as a public school teacher there in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. So uh, reading, and I really try to do some recreational uh, reading. I I'm not as good uh, with fiction as I need to be, but I really try to force myself to do that. Um, I do uh, occasionally just force myself to do some travel now that COVID uh, seems to be allowing for travel because there, there's something about getting away and just uh, seeing other experiences. Uh, and of course, I'm much more protective with my time uh, to not get into places and find myself really working, thinking I'm relaxing. Uh, but I really enjoy uh, doing uh, doing some traveling, uh, and I have certainly taken off of the list of things to do eating because uh, there certainly is enough of me without uh, me contributing more to myself by eating, uh, or as I had a minister say, digging my grave with my teeth. Uh, but. Uh, I, uh, I I really enjoy. I have I have I have some great friends. Uh, Atlanta is a great place, and sometimes we just uh, we really have uh, busy schedules. But occasionally we will uh, make an effort to get together and just laugh and talk and uh, be at a friend's place around the piano and just uh, Lord knows those are those are uh, those are things that should never get in the national archives. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you again, my friend. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah. it, Tony. It was a lot of fun. Take okay. care, buddy. All right. Bye. Uh, you too. Hey, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. James Abington, executive editor of the GIA African American Church Music Series and associate professor of church music and worship at Emory University. When you get a chance, be sure to check out all the great work that Jimmy and the rest of our editorial team are doing on the AACMS series. Thank you for listening to episode 17 of Encore. 
Stay tuned to GIA's social media channels and soundboard.giamusic.com for updates on our next episode. Take care, everyone. Thank you.